If you are already loved, if yeah. you know that you're loved, yeah. let's make a big, big round of applause for Kabul. That was that was an awesome, awesome ministration. It almost made me mad having to come up after them, like, okay. <laughs> you know, service has been done. Let's just go home. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. Turn your Bibles, your cell phones, your Bible apps. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. I'm reading out of, I believe it's the NASB. It says that you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works glorify, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we just glorify you. We just thank you for this opportunity to embark on your word. We pray, Father God, that as we learn what it means to be a light of the world, that those who are in darkness will see your light. We pray, Father God, that you will illuminate the words of Scripture, that you will bring revelation through my voice. We pray, Father God, that you will, that your word will be honored and that your son will be glorified. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. A couple of weeks ago, uh, me and my wife, we had a, a chance to go down to the National Center of Civil and Human Rights. Um, if you have not been to this place, I am telling you, I am pleading with you, I am begging you, please go. This place, and it's in downtown Atlanta, so you don't have to fly to get there. You just have to hop in your car and just go. Bring your children, bring, your, bring everybody who you know and love to this place because it is an awesome, awesome, awesome place to go. Um, this place will change your life. It's not just a place for seeing the Southern history of the civil rights from a social perspective, from a social perspective but also how Christianity played a major role in the social dialogue for civil rights. This was a life-changing spiritual experience for me and my wife. This was not just about the black experience. This was the history of Atlanta, and it was a great, edu it was a, it was a great education for your children to really appreciate the impact of Christ in the city. I am telling you, once you leave this place, you're gonna look at the civil rights activists, not just as activists, but actual missionaries in the city. That's just how significant this experience was. Now, apart, uh, upon approaching this place, there was a plaque that was outside of the entrance that was um, kind of like a dedication to John Lewis. And on this plaque, it was inscribed words from John Lewis himself.
And, um, you know, John Lewis was one who was groomed by Dr. King. He participated in many aspects of the civil rights movement. He was a key figure behind voting rights and just several, several activities that took place in relations to civil rights. And this is what was said on the plaque. These were his very words. On the plaque it says, you are a light. You are the light. Never let anyone, any person, or any force dampen, dim, or diminish your light. Release the need to hate, to harbor division, and the enticement of revenge. Release all bitterness, hold only love, only peace in your heart, knowing that the battle of good to overcome evil is already won. That's John Lewis, someone who spent most of his life advocating on the behalf of the poor, disenfranchised, marginalized black and brown communities. His speech was about being light, which was meant to uplift those who had experienced racism and other forms of injustice. It was an encouragement to not give up but to continue pushing towards the goal of a better future as a better future as citizens in the United States and not just the United States around the world. So when I saw this quote, I was just mind blown because it just I mean as someone who was an ordained Baptist preacher, he definitely came across this text of hearing Jesus say that we are the light of the world. So as you heard before many times, uh, past couple of weeks or so, um, we've talked about the Sermon of the Mount, in which Yeshua, which was Yeshua's inaugural address, inviting Israel to experience what it means to be a part of this new community called the Kingdom of Heaven. Understand that his audience, this Israelite people that have come to hear Jesus speak were those who were fed up with their current conditions. Israel was under military occupation by the Roman, by the Roman Empire. They were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah who they expected would overthrow the Roman government and reinstate Israel back to a place of prominence with a new kingdom. They wanted the Messiah, they basically wanted the Messiah who would make Israel great again. It's a play on words. Y'all can laugh right there. <laughs> so this message about the kingdom of heaven is starting to pick up steam. So when John the Baptist first preached, they thought that John himself was the Messiah, but he was just a forerunner. His job was to warm them up for the Messiah because in their minds there was no such thing as a messiahless kingdom or a kingdomless messiah the messiah and the kingdom went hand in hand so now Jesus comes in the light and line of John the Baptist preaching the kingdom. Some people may have even said, and I've you know, read uh, various commentators who said that Jesus may himself have been a disciple of John the Baptist before actually entering the national stage. But Jesus comes and he's in the line of John the Baptist, he's preaching the kingdom, and he's preaching a message that was radical. And he's speaking about a kingdom and who the kingdom is for. And the funny thing is, is that when Yeshua talks about the kingdom, 
three, several things come up. One, he's not talking about a place that, where you will go when you die. This is not an extra celestial, terrestrial, uh, geographical relocation. The Jews had always focused on the world to come, not the world to go. Two, it was treasonous to mention another kingdom that could unseat or remove Herod's administration, as well as Caesar, who was the, ruling, who was the ruler of the Roman Empire. And all the and all the power and all the sorry all the territories that Caesar held. This was a threat to that very uh, that, that that very government that was instituted. So to preach about the kingdom of heaven was considered treason. However, this kingdom was grounded in peace, not violence. He was not looking to overthrow like what the zealots at that time wanted. You know the zealots, they were looking to start a, a coup. So when they heard that the Messiah is here, they were just ready, they were just waiting, but that was not the message of Jesus. Three, the kingdom of heaven was rather a countercultural movement in which change was gonna take place by those who had the character and attitude of their king. In other words, this was about activity. It was about engaging the culture we are in by carrying out the message or the mission of God wherever we went. One of the common phrases used to describe the people of the kingdom was light of the world. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 that we had just read. He says, you are the light of the world. First of all, what is this light? There are many ways to describe light in the Old Testament. Here's just a few. One, light is a natural symbol for what is pleasant, good, uplifting, or what is associated with important people and more especially with God. Two, light is closely linked with God. Indeed, God can be said to be light. Three, God's blessings is described in terms of light. Four, light is associated with justice. So for my social justice advocates, all justice must be rooted in God's righteousness. In other words, God's righteousness defines social justice, not the other way around. Five, light is connected with good behavior. Six, the Old Testament uses the absence of light as a synonym for disaster, destruction. There are those who grope in the dark without light, and that's in uh, Job chapter 12, verses 25. So in summary, light represents God's life, character, blessings, and activity. We are going to explore what does it mean to be the light of the world so you can let your light shine. For the Jews, this is not a place, this is not a phrase that they've heard before. 
This phrase was very popular in the writings of the prophet Isaiah, and it was related to the Messiah as the corporate representative of Israel and his mission of demonstrating the light, character, uh, sorry, demonstrating the life, character, blessings, and activity of God. In Isaiah 42, verse 6, let's go to Isaiah 42, verse 6. And this is in the Amplified. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. Remember, we're talking about the light that shines. I'm going to go ahead and read Isaiah 42, verse 6. It says, I am Yahweh. I have called you the Messiah in righteousness for a righteous purpose. I will also take you by the hand and keep watch over you. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people Israel as a light to the nations, or in quotes, Gentiles. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. This is like what you would call the uh, unveiling or the, uh, yeah, the uh, veiled, somewhat unveiled great commission. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the protected ones of Israel. In other words, if this mission, um, is, if you, all you're going to do is to restore Israel, you, it's too small of a thing. Right. It's just a bare minimum. Yep. But look at what he says. And I will appoint you, sorry, I will also make you a light to the nation so that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. The bare minimum is just reaching Israel. God has always been concerned with global outreach. God has always been concerned with reaching the globe. Israel, that's cool, but that's not my overall intentions. My overall intentions is to reach all the nations of the world. You know, there's this funny thing. There's this group called the Hebrew Israelites. I don't know if you've ever ran into them. They are a very interesting bunch of people. They are our brothers and sisters, but they are very interesting. <laughs> they have this ideology that the only people that can be saved are Israelites. They have this belief that you have to be an Israelite to be saved. And guess who are the Israelites in their minds? Black people. <laughs> <laughs> They say that, the, that black people are the tribe of Judah, <laughs> and if you are not part of the tribe of Judah, you are, you are almost irredeemable. But if you're not black people, you're still in luck. Because as long as you are non, uh, as long as you are non-white, God has a plan for you. <laughs> if you're Puerto Rican, you belong to this particular tribe. If you're from Nigeria, you must be a part of this particular tribe. But the only people that can be saved is Israel. They haven't come across this particular scripture. Because God's mandate is for everyone. God is not satisfied with just the selected few. God is not satisfied with just the rich. God is not satisfied with just the high class. He wants everybody as a part of his plan. Amen. 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 Yes, yes. 
So the Great Commission, it, it wasn't a new thing. The Great Commission was first given to the Messiah, also known as servant Israel. In other words, it was Israel's responsibility to reach the world. Jesus takes this responsibility upon himself. The word salvation, interesting enough, in Isaiah 49, verse 6, it comes from the Hebrew word Yeshua. So in other words, this is God's coded message that your responsibility is to bring Yeshua to all the nations of the world. Your responsibility is to bring Jesus to all the nations of the world. Why? So that his light, so that his glory will be reflected in all the earth. Amen. That's right. So here in these two passages in Isaiah, Isaiah makes it clear that the light of the world, the one who will bring the justice of God and demonstrate his righteousness is the Messiah or Christ. And we can look at other passages such as Isaiah 51 verse 4 and see the same. Now Jesus confirms this in John chapter 8 verse 12. In John chapter 8, verse 12, this is what Jesus says, and you can turn there. It's really a short phrase, so you know, you don't have to turn there if you don't want, but just uh, keep this in your notes. John chapter 8, verse 12, then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness. Remember, darkness is another way of saying disaster or destruction, but the one who follows me will have the light of life. If you're going to uh, speak into existence, if you're going to declare anything, the one thing that you should declare, the one thing that you should stand on is the fact that if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are following Jesus Christ, you are not walking in disaster. You are not walking in destruction. If that was what was going on in your life in the past, because you are now in Christ, you are walking in the light of life. That is something that I want everybody to declare. You may think you have a curse on you. I'm telling you, God has lifted that curse because when you are in Christ, you are walking in the light of his life. You're not walking in disaster. You're not walking in destruction. You are walking in the light. You are walking in Christ. So prior to the Sermon on the Mount, the expectation for representing God's life, character, blessing, and activity was the responsibility of the Messiah. They knew that when the Messiah was going to come, he was going to set, set them free. He was going to liberate the captives. He was going to open blind eyes. He was going to do this. He was going to do that. The Jews are expecting a one-man show, much like <laughs> the attitude of many of us in our churches today, in which the move of God is treated like a spectator sport. Pastor, you preach. Sister Stella, you sing. Sister die. you go on missions. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to watch you guys do all these things. And if I don't like what I see, then I'm going to say, crucify him. I'm going to say, crucify her. I'm going to change the channel. I'm going to log off. Why? Because this is a spectator sport. I'm just here to watch y'all do the work. But that's not what God has called us to do. Let me tell you, people who are busy doing God's mission do not have time to complain. If you are busy doing the work of God, the last thing on your mind is complaint. 
Because why? You know that you're on an agenda. You know that you're on a mission. You think about it like how CEOs are. A CEO that's running a business has no time to complain about his business. All he's doing is looking for solutions. All she's doing is, how can I take this business to the next level? I don't have time to complain. Yeah, you know, our stocks were down. I can't get mad at the stocks being down. I got to figure out how to get the stocks back up. Yeah, you know, my employees, they're threatening to quit. I understand that you're threatening to quit. I can't complain about them threatening to quit. I got to figure out how to get my employees back on track. I don't have time to complain. I have to do what I have been called to do. I have to do this mission. So if you are engaged in the work of God, you have no time to complain. God is saying for all of us, come participate. We all got a job to do. We are all CEOs in this thing. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 verse, 4, 5, verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. In other words, now that you are following me and have the light of life, you are the ones who will demonstrate my character, his blessings, life, the activity of God. In other words, tag, you're it. I remember tag. Y'all remember tag when we were <laughs> playing tag when we was growing up? Way before the times of cell phones, iPads, video games, we played tag. Tag was a free game. You didn't have to pay to participate. <laughs> you just needed to have a whole bunch of friends to go outside with you and run fast and avoid getting touched. That's what tag was about. We went outside. <laughs> we didn't stay inside, we went outside. Outside was a cool place back then. Nowadays, kids want to stay inside. Man, you couldn't get us to stay inside back then. Uh-uh. Mommy, can I go outside? Daddy, can I go outside? I did my homework. I cleaned my room. Can I please go outside? Man. <laughs> In tag, you get a group of your friends. And what you would do is that out of all your friends, there was one person who was selected to now be the person to go get everybody else. So what would happen? The one person that was selected would close their eyes. Everybody else would take off running in this direction, that direction. The person who closed their eyes would count to 10. When they finished counting to 10, they would now open their eyes and they would now start chasing all those who had ran. If you were slow, this was not the game for you. <laughs> if you was out of shape, this was not the game for you. Because the first person who got caught would hear, tag, you're it. <laughs> Nobody wanted to hear that sound, tag, you're it. You wanted to be the one person that avoided hearing, tag, you're it. But when you were tagged, it was now your responsibility to carry on the mission of tagging the next person. Jesus has now tagged us into this thing called the light of the world. Yeah. 
Jesus, who was identified as being the light of the world, has tagged us with this mission of being the light of the world. That is the mission of being God's life, his character, his blessings, and his activities in the earth. In other words, to represent the kingdom of heaven as the counterculture to the kingdoms of the world, we are now identified as the light of the world. For the apostles, they were a counterculture to the kingdom of Rome. For us, we are a counterculture to the kingdom of American nationalism and all the other kingdoms or activities that seek to replace our loyalty to Yahweh. For all my young folks in the building, if you are part of the kingdom of heaven, you are the light of the world. Therefore, you are a counterculture to the messages of Megan Thee Stallion. You are a counterculture to the messages of Cardi B. You are a counterculture to the messages of Lil Yachty or Drake or WizKids, all your popular artists who define this world's culture. Psalm 96 says, you are to sing to Yahweh a new song. I am not judging them personally. I am not judging them personally, but I am judging their messages. Those teachings of divine uh, feminine, uh, 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 defined feminine energies or hyper-masculinity or the promotion of uh, perverse sex and, and drug culture are not our kingdom values. People of God, you are the counterculture. And being counterculture is not, being, it's not the same as being antagonistic. It's not the same as tearing somebody down. That's not what God has called us to do. God has not called us to beat down other people just because they're different. God has not called us to, uh, to ridicule people because they are not, you know, like not representing who he is. That's not, our, our job is not to be antagonistic. Our job is not to demonize people. Amen. Our job is to walk counterculture. Yeah. In other words, walking in the values and the norms of the kingdom of heaven. We're marching. We are, we are marching to a different, a different beat. We're marching to a different drums. The music that gets us going is not the same music that gets, their, gets them going. All we have to do is walk in that. In other words, I don't have to tell you I'm anti this. I just got to be pro this. Hey, listen, I don't got to tell you that the Dallas Cowboys sucks. I just got to stand with the Atlanta Falcons. At least when they trying. At least when they trying. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm on my own. Hey, you know, Jesus was crucified dead. There was a resurrection. I'm just saying, the resurrection for the Atlanta Falcons will come. <laughs> weeping, weeping may endure for a night. I'm telling you, choice. <laughs> Rise up, Falcons. That's all I'm saying. Rise up. <laughs> mm. I don't have to beat you down. I just have to lift Christ up. Christ, Jesus said that if I, if, if I be lifted up, I draw all men onto me. I don't have to beat you down. 
How do we live as the light of the world, especially in a culture that is growing deaf to the gospel of Jesus Christ? First thing we need to do that we must do is to emphasize in every sermon, every time we preach, every Sunday, every opportunity that we get, that we must know and have a fellowship and have fellowship with the king of the kingdom of heaven. Kind of going back to that CEO scenario, when you, when you have a chance to sit down with the CEO of whatever company that you're a part of, or if you are a CEO, when people sit with you, what they're absorbing, what they're getting from you is the values and the culture of the company. In other words, when we spend time with the king of the kingdom of heaven, his values rub on us. John chapter 17, verses 1 to 3. And reading this in the Amplifier. Said, when Jesus had spoken these things, he raised his eyes to heaven in prayer and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you, just as you have given him power and authority over all mankind. Now glorify him so that he may give uh, eternal life to all whom you have given to him to be his permanent, permanent, to be his permanently and forever. In other words, this thing right here doesn't end. Verse three, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true, supreme, sovereign God, and in the same manner know Jesus as the Christ whom you have sent. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. And we have seen and know by personal experience that the Son of God has actually come to this world and has given us understanding and insight so that we may progressively, that is a growing sense of things, we may progressively, in other words, moving forward, we may progressively and personally know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Notice that, that Jesus' foremost desire is not for you to have a nice car. His foremost desire is not for you to have a nice house. His foremost desire is not for you to have a great business or have an awesome education. Those things are great, but those are not the eternal things. It is interesting in how we don't place huge emphasis on celebrating a new life in Christ Jesus. The biggest thing that Jesus wants you to have is life in him. Imagine what would happen if we had, instead of just birthday parties, re-birthday parties. Imagine what would happen if uh, the end of every month when we do those uh, celebrations, that not only are we talking about our promotions that we received on the job, not only are we talking about the birthdays that we're celebrating, not only we're talking about our holy matrimonies and how long we've been married, but also in uh, conjunction with those things, this is the month that I got saved. I was saved this many years. I'm here to celebrate. For me, I got saved September 1996. I should have celebrated this last month. 
Imagine the message that we would send to the world when, we, when they know that we have two birthdays and not just one. If, if somebody came to me and said, yo, Lee, I got two birthdays, guess what I'm going to ask them? How you got two birthdays? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I was born twice. What do you mean about being born twice? Huh, I'm glad you asked. Do you have time? I want you to tell about it, to tell you about it. Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. Give a, a big shout out to the, uh, to the media team. They are doing an awesome job of the projections. I'm, I'm putting them to work today. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. But whatever things were gained to me, these, these things... I have counted as laws because of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be laws in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For Paul, this was a big deal. For Paul, everything that he accomplished up until meeting Jesus meant absolutely nothing once he met Jesus. God wants you to know, God wants you to know him because since the fall of man in the garden, the life, presence, character, and curse of sin has hindered us from having a fulfilled relationship with Yahweh, who is the light and life. Not just our relationship with God, the proof of the effects of sin is seen in even how we treat one another. Many of our relationships are just transactional. I'm only with you because of what you can do for me, not because I truly care about you. As soon as you can't do for me, I'm out. I was, I was reading an article in which a, Con, a Congolese woman, um, she had just received a job promotion. As a result of her receiving this job promotion, her best friend who was also going, vying for the same promotion turned around and poisoned her. The state of our flesh enjoys negativity. It thrives on negativity. Even in what we consider entertainment value is driven by sensationalized negativity. If you don't believe me, cut on your television. Millions of marketing dollars is spent on advertising negative tension on television. Tune in next time to Real Housewives of Atlanta. Find out what's about to go down between Phaedra and Portia or Phaedra and Nene Leakes. Sensationalized tensions between people, that's what they put money towards. In, in, in various passages, such as Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, or John chapter 5, verse 17 to 18, Yeshua speaks of his intimate relationship with the Father as the, as the means by which he is able to represent God's life, blessings, activity, and character in the earth as the light of the world. 
And so in the same way, in order for us to carry on this responsibility as the vessel of God's, uh, God's mission, it's imperative for us to first know him and continuously fellowship with him who is the king. What makes this king different from all the other kings? This king desires to share his riches with us. He is unselfish. His kingdom is a kingdom of sharing in the blessings of the king. That's a beautiful thing. Go to Britain, go to England, go to, uh, go to, the, to, to the palace of Queen Elizabeth and ask her if she's willing to share in all her spoils. Okay, for some of us, go to Nigeria. Go, go talk to President Buhari and ask him, will you be willing to share in all your riches with, you, with us? The, king, the kingdoms of this world, that's not what they're designed to do. They're designed to prop up the next person. But the kingdom of, the king, the, the kingdom of heaven is all about sharing in the riches of God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. And I'm reading this out the NASB. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We are no longer in the kingdom of darkness. We are, we are no longer in the place that is synonymous with destruction and, and disaster that is absent of God's character. We're in a place now that has God's character, life, blessings, and activity. We have been transferred past tense. In other words, it has already been accomplished, and we have been transferred into the kingdom of God that is full of his life, his blessings, his character, his activities. Which brings me to the next point. We need to understand the importance, the importance of his mission, which is now our mission. Jesus has already stated it. I don't have to reiterate it. You are the light of the world. He says that you are a city that is on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So what do we do with this light? Our mission is to give light to the world. Amen. We've read it in Isaiah 49, verse 6. It is not enough for us to just hear the gospel on Sunday mornings, but to adequately represent the gospel of Jesus Christ, both in words and in deeds at all times. Every one of your friends, your colleagues, everyone should know that you, not, you, don't, that you just don't come to church, that you are the church. They should not just see that you're just going to a place to worship, but that you are reflecting the life, the character, the activities, and the blessings of God. Wherever you step, they should identify you as the light of God. Amen. Amen. Oh. Hallelujah. Nabil Qureshi 
uh, a, former, a former Muslim who became a believer, and he became a, an apologist at that. He was a Muslim, he's been redeemed, and now he was arguing for the Christian faith. And I say he was because he had passed away uh, not too long ago from cancer. But Nabil Qureshi said this. He said that 90% of the Muslims are engaged with, are unengaged with any Christians. And that when Christians wouldn't share the gospel with him, as a reflection, he thought it was just one of two things. He said either they didn't believe it themselves, or two, they were totally okay with him going to hell. Paul had this conviction in his Roman letters. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentiles. Paul was convinced more than anything that the gospel could change anybody regardless of their culture, race, ethnicity, or social status because he experienced it himself. He was a Jewish man who had made it his sole responsibility in life to destroy the church and yet encountered the risen Messiah so much so that he no longer counted his life as his own. Is that your testimony? Is that the testimony of people around you that know you? That you do not count your life as your own, but you are sold out to the gospel of Jesus Christ and that you believe that it is the power of God to save? I'm going to pick this up next week, Sunday, but I want you to go with this. We have a responsibility as missionaries, not just globally, but locally, to impact our generation. What will it be said 20, 30 years from the time that you have left this earth and had transitioned to the next life? Will they say that you are the light of the world? Will they hear that you are a light of the world? Did you let your light shine? Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you for your message. We thank you for its impact. We thank you, Father God, because there are those who are listening right now who are reconsidering their eternal destination, reconsidering their relationship with you, and that there's many that are in this room right now who are being revived with this new, with this commission. Yes. They have may have been on, on a different path, but Father God, as a result of hearing this message, they have been revived. They have been, uh, uh, reca they recalculated all things, and they say that it is for your glory that they will live. Yes. We thank you, Father God, for those who are in need of your salvation, who, have, who desire to hear you. And we're praying for them right now. And for those who are also in this room, you may have never heard the gospel, or you may have heard the gospel, but you've ignored it so many times. This is your time. The scripture says that today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. This is your time. So if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to know him as your Lord and Savior, this is an opportunity for us to pray for you. Is there anyone? And simply all you have to do is just come to the front.
that's you, you say you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just simply come to the front. For some of us, you know, the reason why we have a struggle being the light of the world is because we got so much stuff going on in our personal life that it makes it very difficult for us to, 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 to rise to this occasion, to rise to this call. I want to pray for you as well. If you're going through any challenges in your life, whether it be marriage, whether it be depression, whether it be whatever, sickness, whatever the case may be, this is an opportunity for us to pray with you. Salvation is not just about spiritual rebirth. It's about the entire you. Jesus Christ went to the cross to make you whole. So if you have any reason for, uh, any need for prayer, this is your opportunity. Amen. God bless. Hallelujah. God bless. Y'all have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.